You're listening to Trending with Timory. So, what's trending? Solidarity HealthShare is simple to help pay for affordable, quality health care. They enable the community to share in each other's eligible medical expenses. You choose the doctor that you want to see. Even integrative and alternative medical treatments are eligible. Solidarity HealthShare helps pay for NAPRO technology and costs associated with natural family planning. Solidarity HealthShare is dedicated to both faith and your health care. Information is available at SolidarityHealthShare.org. Joining me today is my guest, Abby Johnson, here on Trending with Timory. It's a joy to have her. She's a former Planned Parenthood director. She is the author of Unplanned. If you haven't seen the movie, it's time for a movie night because this is a movie you don't want to miss, especially maybe once the quarantine is over. You can host a movie night, invite some people who haven't quite worked out their position on abortion, contraception, some of those other important issues. Abby Johnson is also the founder of the organization and then the there were none where she helps other people who had worked in the abortion industry to come out and really find that true joy. Abby Johnson, thanks for being with me today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Could you give, uh, for those people who aren't aware of your story, just a brief snapshot, maybe a preview as to why people should watch Unplanned if they haven't yet? Yeah, well, I mean, it's just a pretty good look of what it's like inside of the abortion industry. I mean, it's, it's, I think, a pretty fair look at both sides of the debate. I mean, I always tell people, if you support abortion, you should watch the film. Um, If you're pro-life, you should watch the film. If you know that you believe, if you believe that abortion uh, is something that should be available, then you need to know what you support. I think that it is something that that pro-choicers should watch, um, know what you believe, know what it is that um, you are a champion for. And if you are pro-life, you know, a lot of people, they told me, well, why would I want to watch this film? I'm already pro-life. Um, you know, it's an important film for even pro-lifers to see because we need to know why we're pro-life. And sometimes even ourselves, I mean, we need encouragement. And I think it's easy for us to feel like, you know, we, we feel run down. We feel tired. This is a, certainly a, it is a battle. And I think that the film helps give us encouragement and really reminds us of of why we're doing the work that we do. Abby, you actually converted to Catholicism after having left Planned Parenthood. We're talking about happiness and really finding that authentic joy in our lives. Can you share a little bit about your conversion and specifically what led you to choose Catholicism? Yeah, I mean, it was sort of a... I mean, it was a long process. I don't think it was any one thing. I mean, I I started when I, I was... Episcopalian. I grew up Baptist, and I was Episcopalian when I worked at Planned Parenthood because the Episcopal Church, you know, anything goes. Um, and their national doctrine supports abortion. So the people that I that I went to church with at, at the Episcopal Church, they all supported Planned Parenthood. They were all donors to Planned Parenthood. Our Episcopalian priest was very supportive of the work that I did. And so um, when I left Planned Parenthood, I was actually kicked out of the Episcopal Church, was told I wasn't welcome back into the mm-hmm. Episcopal Church of yeah. America because I was publicly pro-life, So, which was fine. I mean, I, I knew I didn't want to attend the Episcopal Church anymore, but I sort of wanted to fire them, I guess. Um, <laughs> I left, and I, I, you know, I was really sort of searching, and uh, one thing I knew that I loved was uh, liturgy. 
and I hadn't grown up with, you know, in a liturgical style church, but I, I love that. And so my husband grew up Lutheran. So we, we really started, you know, searching and all of our new friends, you know, cause when I left Planned Parenthood, I mean, I, I left everything behind I and mean, it wasn't just leaving a job. I mean, I left my friends. Mm-hmm. I, I left, you know, now my faith community and, um, and so I, I had to, you know, have all these new friends. My new friends, they all happen to be Catholic. And I grew up pretty <laughs> anti-Catholic. So, you know, they were all like, oh, come to Mass, come to Mass. And I was like, ugh, no, no, you know, no way. <laughs> you, worship, you know, you worship Mary. And so I was like, no, thanks. And they finally, you know, they kept on and on about it. And so I told my husband, you know, well, you know, let's just go and we'll say we hated it. And then they'll get off our back. <laughs> so that's what we decided to do. So we... We showed up, you know, at Mass one day and um, with that plan, you know, in place. And uh, I don't know. We sat there in Mass, and we were both sort of surprised. You know, we just felt at peace and um, found it, you know, oddly similar to the liturgy at the Episcopalian Church, which we felt very comfortable with and loved. And uh, I guess it just it made us want to know more. And so as soon as we told our friends that, our new friends that, you know, we were sitting in the middle of an RCA, RCIA class, we we started reading. You know, my husband and I started reading. I, you know, read the catechism from front to back, and my husband mm-hmm. uh, read Theology of the Body, and uh, I started reading encyclicals, and um, a lot of the questions that I had had growing up, uh, you know, about faith and just, I don't know, just a lot of questions, Um uh, interpretation of scripture and um, things like that, they just were answered. And so, you know, after a lot of reading, after a lot of prayer, you know, and just searching together as a couple and individually, we knew that, that we had found our home in the church. And so we actually ended up um, coming into the church together, Easter Vigil of um, 2012. Wow, it's incredible. And I love how at the heart of your story, you're really touching on uh, inquisitiveness, that you're willing to search out the answers and really come to understand, like, what's truth? What's real? Why does this matter? And as we were talking a little before you joined us, we're talking about how millennials right now are so stressed out and they say they have too many choices before them. And this is their number one complaint. But it sounds to me like once you left Planned Parenthood, you saw that, yes, there are a lot of choices out there, but you started looking for the right answers. And when we have friends who are willing to point us in the right direction, we have good friends who truly want our happiness, we're going to see that, you know, kind of pieces start to fall into place and there's that element of joy that starts to enter in. So tell me kind of some of the greatest fruits that you found after having converted to Catholicism, especially in those first couple of years. How did it change things in a good way? Well, I mean, I think probably the most obvious is just the, uh, rapid expansion of our family. I mean, when we, you know, we started looking into Catholicism, we, you know, it was just, it was just the three of us, Doug, me and my, and, and our daughter, Grace. And, uh, you know, now we, we have eight children. So we're a family of 10. So there was definitely this, sort of this, uh, you know, openness to life that evolved. And it wasn't compulsory. It wasn't like we said, you know, well, now we're Catholic, so I guess, you know, now we've got to be open to life. You know, it wasn't that. I mean, it was just really this joy that came uh, with being open to life and a desire to be open to life. That was new for me because I'm an only child, and I, I grew up 
with sort of that mentality, you know, you get married, you get on birth control, you stay on birth control until you hit menopause. And, and so it was, it, there was never that openness growing up. There was, I don't know, it was just a different, you know, definitely a contraceptive right. sort of mentality, um, even throughout marriage. And so that was a, that was sort of new, you know, and um, brought about a different sort of joy in my marriage and in my life. Um, and I think just constantly being inquisitive. I mean, you know, I realized that my whole life I felt like I had been wrestling with God. And I, I finally just came to the understanding that I, I felt like I was always fighting with God mm. instead of realizing that he just wants to fight for me. That was, a, that was really a um, paradigm shift in my life, um, that he wasn't trying to fight with me. He was just trying to fight for me and really just giving this, this surrender to him and just this understanding that my life is really not my own. Yeah, I make, I make the choices of my life, um, but I, I just have to submit to his will. Um, I, just, I just came to the, this conclusion that I, just, I didn't want to wrestle with God anymore. Mm-hmm. I really did want to submit. There came just this, I don't know, I mean, you think that it would, that submission would bring about anxiety, but it doesn't. It <laughs> brings about this freedom that is, is it's really hard to explain. It's uh, incredible. That's what really brought, that's what the Catholic Church brought about for me. You know, people say, oh, the Catholic Church is so rigid and all these rules, you know, and it's all so bound up. But for me, the rules actually brought about freedom Mm. because that's what children want, right? Children want boundaries, and we are children of God. So all children want boundaries. We want to know where the rules are, what the rules are, how far can we go. And so when you leave it up to man to interpret all the Scripture the way that they want, then the boundaries are all over the place. And this guy says you can go this far, but this guy interprets this way, and he says you can go this far. And that leaves all this confusion. And so the rules are all over the place, and that creates internal struggle inside of man. And, and so it creates this turmoil inside of us, and then we wrestle. So having the magisterium of the church say, no, this is, this is where we stand on this, and this is the boundary, and this is how far you can go, that actually brought about great freedom in my life. And, it's and reasonable. for the first time, it actually gave me the permission to fully submit and surrender. It's it's reasonable too, and I think that when we see that there's someone who cares for us this much, and what they're saying is reasonable, and at the heart of the whole thing of what you're saying is, I love how you posed it as either I was going to wrestle with God, or essentially, He was going to actually read out, reach out, and want to fight for me, and He had been the whole time. That's Abby Johnson. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. That's such a profound moment, and I think that especially for young women in particular, Abby. Um, and I know that you can speak to this as well after having worked with so many women, that this is at the heart of what so many women want, whether look, they're looking toward you know, a significant other, whether they're looking toward their father, whether they're looking to our Heavenly Father, they want to know that someone is willing to love them so much that they will fight for them. And because they don't see that love in their lives so often, I think that this is why they turn to the de- unfortunate decisions that they do surrounding you know, abortion, contraception, and kind of safe relationships relationships that are actually harmful. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, you're you're so right. I was actually just having this conversation today, actually, with someone. Um, look, I, secular feminism can say what they will, but inside of a woman's heart is the innate desire to be protected and to be protected by a man. Mm-hmm. That's the way that God has made us. That's why we're made to have fathers. That's why the Holy Family was set up as it was for a man to be the protector of the family, uh, for a woman to be the caretaker, to be the nurturer of the family. I mean, he didn't make a mistake when he set up the family, the Holy Family. And so, you know, feminism can say whatever it wants to about women not needing men and blah, blah, blah. But the perfect design of the family was for a woman to be with a man and for the man to protect not only her body, but to protect her heart. And, um, and, and that's what every, that's what every little girl desires. Every little girl in her heart desires to have a wedding to a man. That's what every little girl desires. And that's what we have to desire in our father in Jesus that he also protect us and protect our hearts. Absolutely. That's Abby Johnson, former Planned Parenthood Clinic Director. We'll be right back with Abby and we'll dive into topics of feminism and motherhood. Don't go away. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. My guest today is Abby Johnson, who has brought to us the raw, real story of her own conversion from having worked in the pro-abortion movement as a director of Planned Parenthood, even being an employee of the year for them, to radically transforming to this pro-life position and converting to Catholicism. And if you weren't with us before, I just have to say, you've got to go back and listen to this episode because just the rawness of her conversion and how it's transformed her has been incredible. And Abby, just before the last segment, we're talking about motherhood and how kind of the biggest thing that changed is, you know, you're open to life and you've had this family and it's radically changed your marriage. Um, But I imagine motherhood uh, was looked at very differently from going from kind of a very secular feminism that you mentioned before to a Catholic view of women. Talk to me about how that changed for you. I can say that motherhood in the place where I was, you know, at, at Planned Parenthood and not just at Planned Parenthood, but, but yeah, in, in the view of, of secular feminism. And, you know, I definitely saw myself as a, a, a very uh, rabid secular feminist at that time. Um, motherhood was, was viewed as an inconvenience. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking back after I left Planned Parenthood, I was thinking back to my eight years there at the clinic and I was thinking about my you know all that time there and all of the co-workers all the people that I worked with I mean these were women who you know a few were um, you know of non-childbearing years but for the most part everyone that I worked with was in their childbearing years and of all of the people that I worked with I was the only one who had a child Wow! in those eight years. And many got pregnant, 
I mean, many, many of my coworkers got pregnant. But if they got pregnant, abortion was available to them at no cost. That's part of working at the clinic. And so they would they would opt to have an abortion because motherhood is seen as an inconvenience. And in fact, it's seen as weakness. And when I worked at the clinic, uh, I remember being so excited when I finally got past 24 weeks gestation in my pregnancy, because in Texas at the time, you could not have an elective abortion past 24 weeks. And I knew then that the comments about me having an abortion would finally stop Mm. when I got past 24 weeks, because almost every day my coworkers would make a comment, you know, it's not too late. We could take care of that for you. Um, And, you know, Grace was a very wanted baby, Um, but they are relentless and children are an inconvenience and, and they're seen as a a really a detriment to your career. Um, And so, you know, I, you know, I, thinking back, I, you know, think, okay, at this time when I saw myself as a secular feminist and all the women who came, the thousands and thousands of women who came through my door and into my office at the clinic, I can't think of one time that I actually sat down and tried to empower mm-hmm. the woman who was sitting across from me. I mean, if a woman came in and she said, you know, gosh, I, you know, I just found out I'm pregnant and I'm in school. You know, and how am I going to do this with a baby? My answer was not, gosh, you are strong enough to do this. You know, you can mm-hmm. absolutely have a baby and finish school. You know, yes, you are strong enough to do it. My answer to her was essentially, well, man, that would be hard. And you are <laughs> definitely not strong enough to do that. So let's abort that mm-hmm. baby. You know, or, you know, well, I'm going to be doing this alone. I'm going to be a single mom. And my answer wasn't, well, yeah, that's going to be a challenge, but you you absolutely can do this on your own. You know, you absolutely can do it. My answer was, well, yeah, there's no way you can do this on your own. You know, here's some resources that can help you. My answer was, yeah, too weak to do that. Let's get you an abortion. Yeah. That's not empowerment. Right. And it's so true, Abby, because I've worked in the crisis pregnancy centers and I've seen the incredible things that these women are capable of. And of course, the picture perfect ideal is not for these moms to be alone raising these children and have so many burdens on their backs. But the reality is, is that they can when they have to. And when we're called to, women are capable. And, you know, I've seen these women where they've been inside the crisis pregnancy centers while, you know, the little baby's being taken care of by the counselor as the girl's finishing a final paper or taking an exam there at the computer in the crisis pregnancy center. I mean, these are the things that our crisis pregnancy centers do. They do empower women. They do help women. And they call on all the resources that are necessary to make this happen. And it's fascinating because the pro-abortion movement individuals just don't get it. Where does that help come from? Where does that care come from? They can't fathom that people could care for them that much. You're listening to Trending with Timory. That's Abby Johnson. Abby, I want to talk about the word feminism here for a second because there's a lot of, I think, animosity toward using the word 
feminism or saying I'm a feminist because, you know, we have such radical forms of feminism in society. And when you say you're a feminist, people automatically think that you think there are no differences between men and women, you're pro LGBTQ rights, and that you're pro abortion and contraception. Yet, and on the other side, when we say we're not feminists, people think that we're anti woman. So where do you stand on this very, I mean, it's a language battle, but what are your thoughts? When I, you know, when I first came into the pro-life movement, I really felt like we've got to take back this language. You know, we've got to take back the word feminism. You know, we have to reclaim it. And, you know, St. John Paul II talked about a, a new kind mm-hmm. of feminism, right? right? And he didn't tell us what it was. He didn't name it for us, you know. And so we're sort of left. Right. With Well, what is it? <laughs> you know, we know what it looks like. He explained to us what it looks like. And it's not what current feminism is. It's right. not what the current wave of feminism is. It's not what the previous wave of feminism was. And dare I say, it's not what any new wave of feminism mm-hmm. is going to look like. Right. Um, because feminism has gone down a, a very dangerous path that I don't believe is going to be changed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to continue to become more androgynous. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to see a push for women to become more masculine, and there's going to be less of a dividing line between the sexes. And that's not any sort of feminism that St. John Paul II would have called for. So. Now we're sort of looking and saying, okay, well, is it feminism at all? And I'm not really sure that it is. Now we're sort yeah. of gone. We, we're sort of looking back and saying, okay, well, then what is it? And and honestly, for me, I think it's a call to more of a call to femininity more than feminism. Yeah. Some people just kind of throw it in here too. Some people object to femininity because they feel like it sounds soft. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't think so. And I think, you know what? I think it's okay to be soft. I think that it's okay to say innately we are softer than men, right? Because we are. Um, We are more uh, nurturers, right? That's who we're made to be. Um, I can say that I am softer with my children than my husband is. That's not true in business. <laughs> you know, uh, when it comes to business deals, I'm I'm not uh, definitely uh, my husband would be softer in that area, right? Uh, when it comes to spiritual formation, my husband is stronger than I am. Mm-hmm. That's the way it should be. When it comes to taking care of our family, my husband is stronger because that's the way it should be. So I think when we're talking about, you know, a lot of times, you know, we hear, I think it's all, we have to go back to gender roles, what they are. And a lot of times we hear people say, you know, well, um, men are supposed to be providers. And we have a certain view of what that means. And it means that, you know, um, oh, they have to be the one that makes all the money and they have to be the one that does X, Y, and Z. But really biblically, what does it mean? And it means that they are to be the spiritual leader of the household. And right now, we're in a place where that is not the case in many households. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've lived in that situation where um, I emasculated my husband. 
Um, I did not allow him to be the spiritual leader in our home, and it almost broke our marriage. And I've seen the damage that feminism can do in a marriage, and I have seen the good that softness in a marriage, softness and femininity can do in a marriage, allowing my husband to lead as he should. I've allowed I've I've allowed that to happen in our marriage, and I've seen um, the healing that can take place. While I can still be tough and strong um, in business, um, I can I can also be soft, and I can also allow my husband to be strong mm-hmm. uh, and lead our family in issues of importance and in issues where God has commanded that He lead. Abby, thank you for being so raw, because I think that a lot of women need to hear this. And, you know, a lot of women get worked up by the word feminism. They get worked up by the idea of being soft, of sounding feminine. And even just your testimony alone surrounding kind of your interaction with your husband. I want to touch on this last question with you um, of, you know, how would you advise women who are having a difficult time? You know, I think that there's a lot of emasculating being done of men of husbands, of boyfriends even, and they go along with it, yet the answer is really how we as women treat our men. And so what advice from your own experience do you have for women that's practical to help work through that and to be able to separate, you know, the working career world from how you interact with your spouse or possible significant other one day? You know, honestly, Tamari, I, I, it was through, it was mainly through my words. Um, I had to really look at how I spoke to my husband. Um, I, and a lot of it, and I, I mean, gosh, you know, listeners don't crucify me over this, but I (laughs) looked at the way that men, that husbands were portrayed on television, Mm. the way that fathers were portrayed on television and they're portrayed as idiots. It's true. I thought, oh my gosh, I saw myself Mm -hmm. and the way that I spoke to my husband in these television lives, I just thought, oh my gosh, that's how I speak to my husband. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was funny because I, because I was like, oh, that's exactly how I talked to Doug. Right. And I would laugh about it. And I thought, oh my gosh, one day that realization hit me and I thought, oh my gosh, that's wrong. That is not God honoring. That's not honoring to my husband. And I had to, I, I really had to pray about it, but on, if I'm honest, it took practice and it took a lot of humility. Mm-hmm. And I had to, I mean, just really humbly apologize to my husband through a lot of tears. Just apologize for seriously emasculating him for years and not allowing him to lead in our home. And my words had been so hurtful. And the saddest part, honestly, was that I had done it for so long, he hadn't even realized it, it, it had, oh. that it had been going on for so long. And oh. once I pointed it out, he then realized how hurtful it had been. 
Yeah, men adapt. Yeah, they adapt course. to their surroundings. And that's something that I think men are very good at. And so he adapted to the normal within your relationship. And it sounds like it was an absolute grace from God and you being open to that grace to see that there's a different calling for femininity and masculinity and how men and women interact. And it sounds like there was probably a lot of, you know, repentance and tongue biting. And I mean, you're talking about outright yeah. behavior modification that I'm sure has taken years to overcome but at the same time what have the fruits been you know our i can tell you i mean i i hear people you know will we have you know people who say oh my husband and i got in this huge fight and i can tell you that since doug and i you know have gone through this journey and and since i've left Planned parenthood i can honestly tell you that doug and i have never I mean, since we've gone through really that, that healing time in our marriage and we've really processed, you know, everything that, that we went through at Planned Parenthood and I have, I have given him back his rightful place in our marriage as the leader of our marriage and the leader of our home. And I've really, you know, repented and, and we've gone through this, you know, uh, you know, I've really apologized to him for that, you know, the, this emasculation. I can tell you that Doug and I, we do not fight in our marriage. Now, we bicker. I mean, we get on each other's nerves sometimes, right, because that's just humans. But we do not fight. There is truly peace in our marriage because the balance has been struck in our marriage. We, we do not have fights. We are truly at peace with one another. And it's, Doug and I could not be more different. It's not because our personalities are just completely, you know, compatible or anything like that. We are as different as, the, you know, the East is from the West. I mean, we are completely different. But it works because we have so much respect for one another and because we let each other, we know our place in our marriage and we allow each other to grow in that place in our marriage and we respect those boundaries and we don't cross them and that makes for true peace and happiness in our marriage that's abby johnson sharing the incredible testimony of her story and how it didn't just change her to being you know leaving planned parenthood to being pro-life she became catholic it changed her marriage it changed her family you can find her at abbyjohnson.org don't we all want that peace and joy within a relationship within a marriage that just absolute comfort and solace in the context abby thank you so much for joining us again you can find her at abbyjohnson.com and we'll be sure to tweet out links to that as well you can listen to more of Trending with Timory via the Relevant Radio app or at relevantradio.com trending.